Hey guys, welcome to the Front Lounge. This episode is brought to you by our 1929 Winter Tour, which is happening January and February 2019. We're touring the United States and Canada. Tickets and VIP packages are on sale now. Go to congress.com forward slash shows to get yours. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Front Lounge. This is episode 31. Um, very proud of ourselves, us here, the band Congos. Uh, 31 episodes of talking shit for almost an hour. That's quite an accomplishment. For, Sometimes more than an hour. It's, it makes us quite prolific, if you think about it. I mean, that's if each one of those was an album, you know. Right, <laughs> we, yeah. we, We'd be Drake. <laughs> Bach, Bach had like uh, 21 kids, right? Thirty something. Yeah. Oh man! So we got we've had more podcasts and Bach has had kids. But <laughs> yeah, but that's part of the rumor is that all the music he wrote, he farmed a lot of it out to, to his kids. some his of his kids. kids. You know, there's like CPE Bach as opposed to JS Bach. Right. Various yeah. ones that were wrote their own music, but also he just farmed it out mm-hmm. at a certain point. Kind of like you know, I mean, all it's like the Henry like Ford Hans, of music, Hans yeah. Zimmer or John Williams. Now they kind of write a theme and then get the arrangement the minions. Done. Yeah. I think Hans Zimmer's got like 30 people working at his offices but they're, they're always scoring multiple movies a year and yeah there's no other way to do that in fact I met up with a friend this weekend who does film and TV scoring and he was telling me about the turnaround times when they finish a show or a movie and they give give you the final cut or the locked cut and you've got I think it's like two weeks sometimes max everything write, record, arrange. It's, it, they, it's insane. And explains also kind of why most film music sounds the same. It's all that. Yeah. Oh, it's a fight scene. Put it in 7-8. Hey, let's welcome Colton back. What's up, Colton? Hey, y'all. <laughs> hey, were you not, have we not done with you? One with yeah, you? he was on a little hiatus for a few weeks, but he's back. And so is Blue, the, uh, the, uh, Rock child, star, the dog, the dog mo- child, the, the uh, movie yes. star dog who's out here to get an agent in LA, and uh, just yeah. you wait. Takalash Studios mascot. Yeah, let's put up some pictures of Blue. The, uh, people who follow us on Instagram have probably seen him, but he's a uh, he's Colton's dog. He's a very very good boy. Um, <laughs> he's taking he's, a nap right now. So yeah. is his dog. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Colton's very. <laughs> he's such a good looking dog, but he, he's he's the most possessive dog I've ever met. He's so in love with Colton that <laughs> if anybody tries to come near Colton who's not a peer, you know, so like a, like uh, Eve, Jesse's daughter, <laughs> then Blue loses his shit. Yeah. Baby, that's... I can't compete with a baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got a bunch of crackers building up in, in the pantry, by the way. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah. Goody. Yeah, the Patreon supporter's been very helpful. <laughs> Colton's been away for a couple of weeks and he came back to a bedroom filled with crackers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so let's get down to brass tacks. Yeah, get down to breaking news. Well, uh, biggest breaking news is the final episode of Bus Call, episode eight, um, something new under the sun, is out and has been out for a few days now. And yeah, that's it. Bus Call's done. We are finally free of the editing room and uh, the enormous task that this was to kind of complete this. Also, if you haven't watched it, you can binge it now, which is, I know, uh, a lot of people's preferable way of watching a series. Initially, we we talked about it being a 10-episode 
series and when we were talking or when we were announcing it we said it was going to be 10 episodes but um when we got down to the editing process of both south africa and this last one um we had those as two separate episodes they were going to be two-part episodes south africa and a two-part um finale uh but they just didn't work as two separate episodes so we combined them into longer episodes which is why this last one was almost 50 minutes Uh, and i think it just if you guys have seen it uh it just made more sense to connect the stories and connect the dots in that one episode as opposed to leaving a week in between people uh, seeing it yeah i think it's where you know looking at the amount of views we're getting this is clearly it's a slow burn where um we're gathering views as we go. Um, I think the the feedback though has been pretty amazing, and we think it's great, you know. But when other people outside of this little bubble tell us, you know, that that it's touched them in some way, that's really meaningful to us. Because um, this last episode in particular, you know, it's kind of it's a very personal episode. It gets heated. There's a lot going on, a lot of uh, music and a lot of stuff with our family and home video of special times, you know involving our parents and stuff and uh i don't know to watch it a little bit disconnected as as not in the editing room you know um i'm I'm quite proud of it i don't know about you guys yeah i think it's uh like i've we've all kind of been saying it that as a project this is one of the best if not the best things that we've done it you know combines all of this new music um a really cohesive idea cohesive message um just the amount of work and the amount of effort put into it, I think it, and it turned out better than we would have expected, you know, especially when we considered um, Bus Call was going to be like a travel, you know, fun little recap travel documentary type of thing. And now it, it turned into this really large scope uh, story. So, and, and the feedback, you, you know, keep on sending those letters and uh, messages and all that stuff. It's nice to see. Um, the feedback really has been amazing. You know, just effusive, long, um, detailed messages of how much they like the show, which is it's really nice to see. And it's really, and we think it's going to grow. We think it's going to, um, you know, by word of mouth, that's going to reach people and it'll eventually um, hit a critical mass. It's even it's even funny to kind of start getting feedback from the crew, you know, because a lot of the crew had seen bits and pieces or rough cuts, um, but they really hadn't seen the full scope of it until it aired. You know, we were editing up until the day before upload sometimes. So no one got to see it before it came out. Yeah, they mostly um, got to so see we'll, scenes that we had to get approval for. <laughs> I'm glad nobody's com- no, uh, in the crew has complained about any of the the way they've been portrayed or anything like that. We were pretty conscious of making sure that we were truthful and but also like not didn't weren't portraying anybody negatively. The only thing I can think of is that in the first episode, Chris has got a mustard stain on his lip because they they ate Subway sandwiches before they did their talking head interviews. So I had to color correct and I couldn't fully get it get it away uh, it just this little yellow stain on his lip but he didn't care he thought it was funny yeah. um, well because he noticed it because when the first time everyone saw it was in the in a theater in a yeah. big theater on a big screen as part of the phoenix film festival screening yeah so, so he and his friend were sitting on in the front row of the theater <laughs> right next to the screen looking up at his face with a mustard stain yeah for the uh, entire episode in 4k footage <laughs> um yeah so we have this group chat with our with our crew, which has kind of been a little bit inactive lately because we've not been on the road. But it's funny how watching this has made everybody feel 
like wanting to get back out there, you know, and it's kind of good that we are going on tour in, in January. At the same time, I think everybody's now just remembering life as though it were edited at like bus call, you know, just the, the highlights and the interesting parts. You know, everyone's deleted the 12 hours a day of boring shit that was not in the edit. <laughs> yeah, Colton can't wait to get back on tour. And then he remembered, oh, wait, I have to count shirts for about two hours a day. <laughs> True. Well, um, you know, it took it takes what three four hours to watch Boss Call. It took us three years to make. So it's a. Well, I mean, it didn't take us three. Yeah, years not. To make. It was not like we were twenty four seven on it, but um, but I mean, it was, was just collecting footage, and we didn't know why we were collecting it. And then, ma- regardless, a massive job. So um, share it. You know, tell your friends about it. Talk to your friends about it. Have conversations. Tweet us. Um, we are going to be promoting this and pushing this for a while to come because we've really just scratched the surface a lot of our fans have not even seen it yet you know it's just the hardcore fans that have even aware of it so uh, we're going to be ramping up those efforts and so don't get annoyed with us on social media if we still continue to talk about Bascola even though it's finished well and there's also another still huge uh, project to come out of this and all the music from all eight episodes other than our dad's uh, songs that you you hear, I think, in a couple of the episodes, all that music is original Congress music. So those songs are g- going to be released uh, as part of the you know three part nineteen twenty nine album next year in one way or another. And then the other uh, incidental music and kind of score music will find a way to release that too, even if they're just like thirty seconds of kind of a nice little mood or ambient music we'll we'll find a way to release that so that's a whole nother project that we'll we're going to start working on quite hard in the next uh, few weeks yeah we got to just rename all the incidental music because it's all named just goofy names like belly bells yeah. or mod tension build well, that was one of the most fun things about doing this uh bus call was that when a scene came up we were unsure a lot of times of where the vibe or where the mood was going to go for a scene and then we had to think about what piece of music was appropriate for it. And so when we, you know, open up our hard drives and just look down the, the list of songs, we just, you know, uh, temporarily listen to the music while watching the scene. And all of a sudden one song would click and we'd say, that's it. You know, that, that's the direction of this uh, scene. That's the direction of the mood and the emotion that we want to go to. And that, that really directed a lot of the episodes where we were unsure of um, where it was going to go. And I think that's going to help the, well, in that last, process. in this last episode, uh, the scene where everyone's getting high off to the Denver show, we had for months been using this Greek piece of music uh, from Epirus, these clarinet players who were pretty sure are stoned every time they record because it sounds like that. And it was actually the music that we were listening to on the bus, and that's why we wanted to use it. We couldn't, unfortunately, get all the licensing figured out and cleared in time, but at literally the law, like the 11th hour, whatever the phrase is, Dan, we remembered this song Danny had been working on, uh, this mandolin song. What's it called? Uh, walk Through or something. I don't know. I don't have a yeah, title yet. Working title, but uh, that works perfectly. It ties in perfectly to our dad playing the clip on the, that's a mandola, which is basically a giant a cello mandolin, right? Yeah, or, yeah it's yeah. a cello equivalent of a... Like yeah. the, so just, <laughs> there are so many little parallels in this episode that would just uh, fortuitous coincidences, you know, of things that happened and like bumping into that guy at the VIP. We hadn't even seen that footage of that guy talking about brothers and yeah. getting along and all that. And we watched it back. We're like, this, how 
insanely yeah. perfect timing was this interview with him right after we've had this whole kind of argument and tension between us brothers. Yeah, in the other episodes, we because it was combining uh, so much footage, it wasn't necessarily linear everything. You know, we would cut back and forth to stuff that was relevant. In the last episode, it was almost entirely linear. It was, everything happened in those orders. And, you know, it was all just kind of all related in real time. It does, it makes... I started to th- think about life in terms of spaghetti because it started to feel that way. If you picture all these lines of action, you know, and events and people, you know, say each person has a, a network of pe- of people that they interact with and they're moving through life through uh, geography and all these things kind of constitute little little events that are all tied together like spaghetti. And... So that's what our footage looked like. You know, we had hours and hours of spaghetti. And then on this last episode, we it was about a two-week period um, that it was collected. And there was just this crystal clear thread that seemed to pop out and jump out of this mess where we saw the storyline come together. We saw, saw, it's almost like it was written, you know. And when you start to think about life like that, as though it is all these written stories that, you know, seem like chaos altogether, but occasionally one just pops out that seems to be a coherent thread. And uh, I, I, that was just strange. To go back, I, you know, we all remember the tour, but you don't think of it in that terms. It's like, oh yeah, we did this gig and then we had an argument and then this happened and then we went to that one bar uh, and then we went and watched the footage and you're like, holy fuck, we're, we're living in a story. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, it's, uh, yeah, I guess stories come from life or maybe it's the other way around. Life, you know, life comes from a story, but, I was, it's, if your mental states are environmental, largely, you know, it's circumstance in your environment that creates your um, attitude and your outlook and your, and then that attitude and outlook determines your behavior. It felt like we reached a critical mass of being in the same exact environment for so long because we had been on the road for so long, cumulatively up to that point, that it must have put all of us in a pretty relatable mental state. That. Yeah, it's like it's like we were a cost. <laughs> yeah, you know. There's even a more uh, bizarre idea, and it's though like when because it's a show, we we think of it, and people watch it and think of it as a show. And when someone writes a TV show or a movie, they've come up with the story, they've come up with the ending, they've come up with the third act, which influences the second and the first act. You know, it influences how they write uh, the beginning of the movie and everything prior to it. And j- there's this kind of bizarre idea where these uh, quantum physicists are you know talking about superposition of things existing um in two states or multiple states simultaneously and there's one physicist who's talking about that the whole universe is in a state of quantum um superposition and that the idea that something in the future can influence the past and that the past can influence the present and the present can even influence the, the past and that it felt like going through this storyline that as you watch it, it's like that guy in Seattle talking about the Brotherhood and uh, just basically relating the entire uh, first act of the, of the episode. It's almost as though that was already in existence, which influenced how we and the, the story played out. Which I, it's a, you know, it's a crazy idea, but it's not. It's um, not well. Without even getting into the idea of superposition, if you just believe in what they call, I believe, the causal arrow of time meaning that if we don't even get into like 
different directions that time might move or whether time even has the idea of direction. But in the way that we're able to perceive things, then it everything that happened w- w- was inevitable and therefore it might as well have already happened, you know, re- regardless of your description of the word time. Everything that led up to those moments was already in place since the beginning of the Big Bang or whatever and before. Mm. And it it was destined to do that. And it's funny now you go back in retrospect, edit it and watch it. And you were able, we were able to now even to look at an argument like that, which like most brotherly arguments is never actually about anything or about anything specific. And you're able to, we are able to kind of see, Oh, why did this come about? And we can identify the five, six, ten, a hundred factors and see that it was inevitable. See that all these things were inevitable. So now yeah. if you could just do that, in a more present way by being more uh, self-aware at any given moment, you would be able to realize all of the lines of spaghetti that have led you to where you are now, and you'd be able to predict, I think, better where they're going to end up without even anything mysterious like superposition or, or, you know, future telling. Like, there's enough evidence almost as it is to see where the future will end. Yeah, I I mean I can't wrap my head around that um, because you there's a part of you that is going to always believe in will, which is a contradictory force against whatever whatever kind of determinism you're talking about there uh, or inevitability. But you but I can't reconcile those contradictions because I believe that stuff is inevitable. At the same time, in the back of my mind, I'm open to some kind of will which is hard yeah to i'm open to the idea of will i think it's just one of those words that we throw around like I, very loosely and there, there might be the idea of the ability for you to have influence and, yeah, and I, change but uh, vi- everything we everything we watched there there was no exhibition of free will whatsoever i had this uh, uh as jeff would say i zoned on that breath um, I, w- I was meditating, kind of. I don't even know how to meditate, but I had this ex- weird experience with the door open, which, and we're right by, we're right in the center of Hollywood, so you, the sounds that you hear are just kind of crazy. You know, you hear people yelling and uh, sirens and helicopters and all this kind of shit, and it just felt like total fucking chaos. But it, there was a synchronized moment where it all died down, and also uh, what my mental state seemed to get a little bit focused and I had this weird sensation which I couldn't really bring back to my normal state which was that life didn't need to be as chaotic as it usually is that you bring about chaos in your in your life partially or maybe entirely due to your own state that you attract chaos and that you didn't you don't necessarily need to attract chaos to your life yeah, that's interesting to observe that in yourself because that's hard to do. You can observe it in other people. There's all people we know. I mean, everyone. I don't mean us personally. Everyone knows somebody where you are able to watch from the outside and see that there's an unnecessary amount of chaos in their life. Like, the universe is chaotic in a sense. You know, like yeah. a fucking meteorite could smash into us at any second. There's nothing we can do about that. But you don't need to walk in front of traffic. Right, yeah. Like you have control over certain aspects. And it's, uh, there's an analogy I've heard, which is that it's, it's uh, you subject yourself to certain laws to free yourself from other laws. You know, like a do- if a dog was being walked on a leash and the dog resists the leash all the time, 
it's subjecting itself to unnecessary strain and 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 hardship. Whereas if it just complies with the leash, blue, we're talking to you, dude, <laughs> um, is it gets like relative freedom in that situation, just by subjecting itself to a one law. It's like a, well, yeah, and that's where you get that contradictory idea of freedom being submission, or or it's not even submission; it's a relinquishment. Of surrender. Sur- yeah. yeah, surrender. You relinquish any idea that you have control, and is, all of a sudden isn't you that, feel free. Islam means Islam means surrender, uh, isn't it? Oh no, Suf. I think you. No, the word is doesn't. Uh, what is Sufism that referred to that? Colton, well, good Colton, to have please. you back. You're going to Google that for us. Well, there's <laughs> um, uh, submission. Yeah, Islam means submission. Yeah. It obviously, I think Voluntary. people have got a negative connotation for the word. Well, that's an interesting way that that's put there in the, the first sentence of the description of Islam in Wikipedia. It means the voluntary submission to God, which is kind of funny yeah. in the idea, if you believe in this idea of an all-powerful being, like there is no, there is nothing but submission. So the voluntary, the paradox of that is that the only choice you have is how you react to the fact that you are going to be part of the universe's plan regardless. Well, that, there's a Sufi saying that the greatest truths can only be explained in great paradoxes. And it's, that's, I feel like that's been, that's a sensation or it's a feeling that you get. Like talking about all this stuff is you usually, you can't wrap your head around it completely or at all because it's, it doesn't exist. The understanding of some of those ideas or, uh, quantum mechanics or physics not that i understand them on any level but the understanding of those on a deep level don't seem to be on just a logical level they they exist in the state of um a paradoxical state like the the idea that a particle it can also be uh, or a subatomic particle can also be a wave like they can be this two different things at the same time well it's a complete paradox which that- is a truth yeah, I see. It's at that technical level that I think you know, I I get lost. I think a lot of people get lost, you know. But if you upscale or downscale that idea to everyday examples, you know, you you the, some of the best comics are the ones who sort of tell the truth best, or where they tell the joke and you laugh before you even know why you're laughing, you know, uh, where it's just kind of gone right into you. And I feel like uh, I've been listening to. Um, John Cleese and Eric Idle, they were both on, or each on uh, Mark Maron's podcast. And those guys, I feel like, were prime examples of people who knew how to explore absurdity and tell the truth without it making any fucking sense at all. You know, if you, if you go and watch some of those Monty Python skits in the movies and things like that, um, they just, they were onto something, you know? And it just felt like the truth, even though it was fucking <laughs> absurd. There's the my favorite example of that sketch is the the legal robbers. Have you seen that? The, the where they're all robbers and one of them suggests, well, why don't we just take the money? And they said, no, that would be wrong. <laughs> so we got to go in there. We got to deposit a check and then we remove. <laughs> it's really it's you can't explain why it's so funny. The sixties. I mean, they, they're the Beatles of comedy, basically. I don't, yeah. There's never been anyone quite as revolutionary. And obviously, they came from people, the goons and uh, yeah. various people before them. But they just seemed to tap into this special thing that was happening around that time where there was just such a freedom of they, you, going for stuff. I like uh, John Cleese. Uh, he was on Mark Maron. He talked about um, Dudley Moore. Uh, it was who, Cook and Moore, was it? Yeah, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. Yeah, those, uh, the worst job I ever had. Is that them? 
Yeah, but I think that's a bootleg tape, the one you were talking about. There's this tape of Dudley Moore, who you might know from the movie Arthur and... Uh, Some of those 80s comedies. Like, yeah, uh, Ten. Yeah, and he was a super famous comedic actor, but before that, he had this radio show, I it's think. like a traveling... Also, they would just do rooms. They would just do almost like stand-up, like a dual... Two-man uh, show. Two-man show, yeah. Yeah, but there was... They ended up being some of these tapes, again, that our dad had that were kind of bootleg tapes that made their rounds around the music and entertainment world in London of them, he and Peter Cook just drunk as shit saying the most offensive things you could at the time. And mm. it was really, really funny. And it just kind of made their round, like nothing that would ever end up on TV. Yeah, that's funny. John Cleese talked about it being the funniest show he had seen and also that they kind of cracked the um, British properness. They cracked open, uh, you know, the world for... Uh, to to make fun of the queen, to make fun of the royal family, to make fun of all this stuff, which was kind of uh, not societally done. off limits. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's why the Scottish also are so funny because they've always they've hated always the had that <laughs> yeah. kind of opposition to England and the queen and all that. Yeah, you see, the funny thing that back to those guys and uh, how they arrived at that style of comedy. You know, he said John Cleese said something. He said two contradictory things, you know. He, he he talked about how important it is to write and to take time and how long it takes, you know. And it would sometimes take him six weeks to write a draft for a half an hour show, you know. Mm. Um, at the same time, he, he said that they had not forgotten how to play, you know. Like, kids know how to play. Oh, and yeah. then you reach an age where you kind of stop knowing how to play. And um, that's yeah, I mean, kind he's of... He's 78, and, his, and he was talking about his wife, um, fright like hiding under the bed yeah like, and when he got home and grabbing his ankle as a practical joke like this is trying to scare yeah. each other kind of like uh, the pink panther movies yeah. um but that theme has been popping up a lot with me especially lately because we're looking for starting to look for preschools for eve and so you have to start thinking about these concepts you know what what do you want the priorities of your child to be and how do you want them to be educated and all that stuff and to think that a 70-whatever-old guy, you know, is still so obsessed with the ability to play, you know, there's got to be something to it. Mm. I, I listened to those podcasts with, uh, with him and Eric Idle also on the Mark Maron, and another thing that kind of popped into my head is the, this ever ongoing battle between creative, funny people, It's particularly in the comedy world, even more so than the music world. I know comedians complain about this, of having to try to justify to the suits what's funny right you know, like they've, they've it's been this ongoing battle where they like they know what's funny <laughs> and it works and there's there's always an opinion that someone says what about you know no you can't do this you can't do that and it's i guess it has to be there there has to be that struggle otherwise <laughs> there's no boundary to be pushed or there's no envelope to be opened you know so as much as it's frustrating dealing with that, even in the music world, it perhaps is, is a driving force for new creativity. Yeah, or it's it, then the stuff that does break through means there was some real individuality and and kind of self belief in it that somebody somebody pushed through the natural resistance to any kind of individuality. I think I'm sure you could look at it from the executive side too. You know, a good executive can see through every bullshit artist that walks into his office, you know? Mm. And so there's, there's a whole lot of shit that does seem to make it past onto 
national TV or whatever major outlet, you know. Yeah, I think has, it's if a if a if an exec if a person is standing by their decision, like you know, like L.A. Reid, he uh, he dropped Lady Gaga from Epic, but he took responsibility. It's not like he was, you know, listening. I think when you get into that quagmire of nobody, everybody's afraid to make a decision because they don't want to be the one responsible, so they make joint decisions. Yeah, no, it's not. I don't mean to say that. Every, like, I think Lorne Michaels is a good example of he is he is the suit now. Obviously, he started SNL, but he is making decisions about this is not funny, that's not funny. But he, that is his life, and he's done that. It's clearly it's work because every funny person you've ever seen over the last fifty yeah. years was on SNL, and he's not doing it out of out of a out of fear. He's yeah. doing it out of his own beliefs. He's not like afraid that he's going to lose his position or he'll be blamed if it. Yeah, you do sometimes need this, the editor or the outsider yeah. producer, you know, and occasionally we have that either as one of us to ourselves or our dad or something like yeah. that where it's helpful because otherwise you can think everything I'm doing is amazing and I'm an artist, leave me alone. Yeah. We know? don't have that when it comes to comedy or humor. <laughs> In our, no, yeah, because well, we're not comedians. But. No, I know, I'm saying we need that as well when uh, it comes to our own comedy and humor. What, self-editing? Yeah. Or well, they talk about... Brother uh, editing. It's kind of a bit off topic, but it's kind of related. I was going to say that Mitzi Shore, the uh, former owner of the comedy store, Paulie Shore's mom, she died just very recently. And she was one of those ladies, you know, like every famous comedian went through the comedy store. And she obviously had opinions about who went on when. And it was portrayed pretty well in that show, I'm Dying Up Here, which because there's no fucking justice in the world they've canceled after <laughs> two seasons an amazing show that Jim Carrey was an executive producer on and they canceled it anyway so she was a perfect example of of that type of person you know where she wasn't a comedian herself obviously had an absolute amazing instinct for yeah. comedy and was able to shape all these careers yeah yeah i mean that's uh, she's a she's clearly the you can't entrust your a business to coked out comedians you know you need somebody who's going to be leading the helm <laughs> there is the other side of it the just the bad suits like we've dealt with <laughs> yeah yeah well were you talking about uh, contra- uh things that strike you as funny because my favorite example of that is uh, uh that stephen wright joke i bought some batteries but they weren't included <laughs> like that's a perfect joke oh yeah, yeah. stephen wright and who's the other guy um Mitch Hedberg. Mitch Hedberg. Those yeah, guys I are never perfect examples. Mitch until because I always heard the worst yeah, versions. People of his that stuff. were super into Mitch Hedberg always would tell you the three jokes or, of yeah. his that weren't funny, and yeah, I yeah. I wrote him off also. Yeah, but, but he's really he's funny. funny. Yeah. They're the perfect examples of paradoxes, you know, being true or making you laugh and being funny. Yeah. Um. um what else? <laughs> oh, <laughs> why don't we just go to an advertisement? Here? All right, advertisement. <laughs> You can do it. You don't have to say advertisement. You can just go to advertisement. Well, we're still running right now. <laughs> People are waiting for this Let's advertisement. Let's just go to the advertisement now. Okay. okay. And we're back to people that aren't on our patreon if you want to get rid of the ads that you hear on this podcast head to our patreon page at patreon.com slash congos where you can for two dollars a month listen to the ad free version of this podcast and every now and then we throw up some exclusive behind the scenes photos or little clips uh, of stuff we talk about or you know we're going to start maybe putting up a couple extras from bus call on that uh, Patreon page, just clips that were really good or funny but didn't quite make the cut for the show. So for half the price of a 
cup of coffee at Starbucks, you can ensure that Colton is fed. And it's important because we need him to Google stuff. Otherwise, we'll just be spewing uh, stuff that is not fact-checked onto this podcast. So do your part, people. Do your part for the... Price of a cup of coffee at Starbucks. These days? Yeah. I think it's like two... Well, if you like, if you just get the an espresso, it's like two seventy five or three. I haven't been to no, a Starbucks in a while. Well, why don't you look that up, Colton? This is, <laughs> this is exactly what uh, the Patreon paid uh, patrons pay for. We're going to look up the Starbucks prices of coffee: sixty four dollars and forty eight cents. That's, that's the stock price. Yes, that's that's the <laughs> stock price. Although um, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. I made this stupid joke the other day, and then somebody made it on Twitter, you know, before I publicized it, but they, you know, someone said they sh- Ariana Grande should change her name to Ariana Venti. <laughs> now that she's such a big star. Grande. Okay. So, look, yeah. Yeah. That's about right. Yeah. So it's like minimum, unless you're just getting a straight up brewed coffee, which nobody yeah. gets at Starbucks. It's like three, four dollars minimum. You could either split with your friend a skinny vanilla latte, Grande, <laughs> or you could patronize us through Patreon. Um, All right, I think the choice is clear. Yeah. Um, I was, uh, I was, Jesse and I can maybe talk about this. I don't know if it'll be interesting for anybody, but I, I've been looking for a new apartment to live in here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And the... You're setting up a Patreon page for us? Yeah, <laughs> you need more than a Patreon page. I need a fucking Kickstarter. Um, but it's... It's hysterical the shit that the real estate agents or the uh, property managers write in the descriptions of what they do. That they almost to a uh, person never actually give you all the pertinent information. Like how many bedrooms? Is there air conditioning? Is there parking? They always leave one or two of those items out, so you have to call and or go look at the place and then be disappointed. Mm-hmm. But they are hiring writers using failed the writers. most yeah failed writers the most <laughs> flowery language ever to like. Picture walking into this expansive 400-square-foot studio. <laughs> to your left, a wall. <laughs> to your right, like, it's, it's but not just any wall. This wall has shit on it. <laughs> <laughs> the shit that they get away with in L.A., I guess like any big city, it's the, it's the price you pay. Uh, the you know, the, the expense, or expensiveness of apartments or homes here is... It's comic. If it wasn't so sad, it's comical because yeah. you, you know walk in and they're charging some absurd amount for something. You're like, "There's not the door doesn't even fucking close properly." Yeah. <laughs> this high, hyperbole leads to hyperbole. Like, yeah, you got to compete with all. The, somebody started it. There must have been the first person who's just exaggerated, and then everybody's like, "Oh fuck!" Now we got to exaggerate too. And they keep using these words like historic. Like the one they keep saying is historic Frogtown, which is a part of LA here, mm. located between the freeway and the LA River. <laughs> <laughs> and it's you know it's kind of a shit neighborhood. It's you know it's yeah. up and coming and all that, but they start using all these words to convince you that this is not actually just a shit studio apartment <laughs> next to a freeway. Anyway, that's why that's I've been having dreams about finding amazing apartments and then waking up in a cold sweat. <laughs> <laughs> Um, oh, we were, we were going to talk about music, music business just because we are going on tour in uh, January we're, is when it starts. But if for the next month or two, we're going to have to start getting our shit together for that. Um, so what what are our must-haves for tour, bus touring? Colton, you got any, any, any must-have? I, I really don't, actually. 
Um, no, because everything's taken care of for you. Exactly. Yeah. The Wait. writer is full. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, we're slashing well, the writer. Totally on this. What's your favorite snack on the writer? Like, what are you... What's actually a useful snack? Everyone thinks, oh, I'd put this, I'd put that, I'd put this on the rider if I had it. But you eventually find out it's certain basic things you want. Like, what do you like bananas? Well, there's, apples or there's really nothing basic. Uh, my point of like thinking was that I'm in a new place every day. I'm going to go all out. <laughs> so, like explore, you mean? Yeah. So, you know, I was a lot of ordering food and like getting fat for six weeks. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, as well, you, busy as you are. So a, on tour, a size up in pair of pants is what is a must. Have yeah, yeah, yeah. It's halfway through, you're gonna burst it's out of them. pants. Yeah. What are they called? It's like the freshman fifteen. Your kids go to college and they just party and drink beer for that first year. There is a that happened to all of us. I think on tour a bit, just drinking because we're not the. Uh, but like, this this strung out heroin cocaine using rock stars. You know who don't who can't gain weight on tour. You know. No, they those guys need a shower is the must-have for those people. <laughs> There's been a few bands that we've been on, uh, not on tour with, but you know that we've seen at festivals or whatever that are those type of bands, the Strung Out, and you can literally, like you share dressing rooms a lot of times, and you can smell them fucking walking in from 100 yards away. You're like, oh, that's that band. Yeah, yeah. like <laughs> they've got their show clothes that never get fucking yeah, washed. Yeah. But it's, we're, um, it's marinating pleather. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh. some sort of... Some sort of fake leather clothing that's been sweated upon by multiple people. <laughs> I'll tell you, for this tour, especially Colton, there needs to be some preparation because it's going to be Winnipeg in the middle of fucking winter. It's going to be negative. The high was, what, negative 10 or something like that? Negative yeah, 5? At- we went and to Winnipeg in wind July, chills, so. and they said the pipes had just unfrozen. Yeah. So, and we I, are Col- fucked. Colton, we can barely get to wear uh, anything but shorts anywhere. Like we, you know, If you want to go out anywhere, you've got to be like, Colton... Put some pants on. <laughs> Dude, I have this theory about Colton's uh, fashion sense and his n- refusal to wear pants. Like, m- you could go to any of these snooty bars in LA and they've got dress codes or they've got like a doorman who wants to judge your fashion. And I think Colton either, he has two things happen. He either gets immediately rejected from being allowed into the club or he gets a private booth <laughs> because they're like, this guy showed up at the club wearing shorts and like, he he's must be, be a fucking producer. He's a Silicon Valley. He made yeah. his money in cryptocurrency. <laughs> no, but we do. We need to go. Colton, you and I need to go boot shopping. Yeah, I'm not prepared for this at all. Yeah, boot shopping. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to get one pair of waterproof, like Timberland type, win, like winter people. It's going to be the most miserable Fuck, have, conditions have, we've ever toured in. I have good winter boots, but I think they're in Phoenix. I'm going to have to get those out here. Yeah. I bought those in uh, Munich where we arrived. We went on tour with this band called Dispatch. They were touring Europe, and it was our first ever Europe tour. And we arrived in 2013, I think, and in Germany in fucking January. And holy shit, was it cold? Snow everywhere. And then there would always be puddles, like where some snow had melted around a, a manhole or something like that. And you step in that once with out waterproof shoes, and you're you're. I was done. <laughs> I that went and found, uh, like, how do you find a shopping mall? <laughs> That's I asked in a German accent. Nobody understood me. Uh, but went and bought these fucking boots that are awesome. The slush in winter is, I think, the worst part of it. You know, you can deal with cold, but that just constantly walking around in slushy snow. Mm. Yeah. I was pretty lucky for the first tour. I, I just wore, like, Vans, and they didn't 
uh, even walking in snow, I was fine. I had nice socks. But then, then at the end of the tour or on the next tour, I stood in one of those puddles. And I was like, fuck this. Because they don't dry out and your feet are freezing. And the van we were in, the, the heating was only in the front. So and it was like a big, long sprinter van, if I remember correctly. Yeah. So whoever had the, the driver and the passenger were fine. But us in the back, like your feet were literally fucking mm. frozen the whole tour. Well, yeah, we are hitting, I mean, we're hitting Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg, Minnesota, um, Chicago. Chicago, Boston, Montreal, Toronto, New York, Detroit. Detroit, all those places in the middle of winter. But so, we'll be bringing the good news to the people of those cities that there is an alternative. <laughs> if you're listening there and you're in... There are places where the sun comes out. <laughs> if you're listening and you're in one of those cities, you better come to the show because we need people in the room to warm up. There is one place we played in York, Pennsylvania. Or was it no, York? No, no, it was... York, uh, uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Yeah, yeah. yeah where they, they didn't have any heating in the building and it was the coldest I've ever been inside a building. And even like we all played in jackets and shit even when there were people in there. Yeah, that, that was one of those days where I said, I'm not showering today. <laughs> <laughs> which, was, oh. was, which was <laughs> after, it was after and before Tuesday, a day that Wednesday you also said Thursday. you weren't showering today. <laughs> all right, um, well, anyway, yeah, we are going on tour. Tickets are on sale now. Go grab them. Anybody got a remember when? Should we, is there a remember when from this last episode that, you know, I think Pano, we can talk about Pano just because he turned out to be such a great character, you know, on the show. Like, mm. he's a great guy to be around. We've known him, you know. He went. To, was he your grade in school, Danny? Or Yeah, he was my grade, but I think he arrived the last year that I yeah. left, so I don't remember him. We didn't really know him, but when, when we went back to South Africa, we visited and had all the same friends in common. Yeah. Um, be, the best things about this show or this episode is because he really was like the lens for a new person on tour and not only the lens for a new person on tour but a person who's never been to america before and they get to tour like i have a lot of south african friends that have said they want to tour america and they want to go to america you know like like they want to see real america and (laughs) on tour you get to see real america you know you don't just go to the tourist spots of la and new york you get to be in well, yeah, think about it. His he, first day was Kansas Memphis. Or, or Memphis. So he, we went from Memphis to Salina, Kansas. Yeah. Oh, no, no, So St. Louis, then Salina, Kansas. Yeah. So he, he pretty much didn't see anything that you would normally go see if you visited America. Normally, you fly into New York or L.A., and then you go Disneyland, you go to <laughs> Empire State Building, you do all this shit, you know, and, and everybody does the same shit. Um, he didn't see any of that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for like three weeks. All he saw was a fucking Cracker Barrel and <laughs> Look, that Walmart. We went to, to <laughs> in Salina, Kansas, where Mo Mo can eat an incredible amount of food, and he ordered a full like American breakfast. You know, stack of pancakes and then biscuits and gravy and eggs and everything. And Pano was like f- dumbfounded watching us all get these American breakfasts in the middle of Kansas. He's like, I don't understand. What, you go eat all of it. <laughs> I've got a good, the best remember when from that was in Salina, Kansas, where we show a bit of it in the episode where we say, we ask someone like, what's the best thing to do in Salina, Kansas on a Monday night? And there's just this long pause. And she finally, she actually doesn't say anything. She says like, mm, I, don't, I don't, there's no, nothing. <laughs> and so we went to Brahms and got some ice cream and uh, we came across, we, we'll post this clip. I don't know if we'll do it to Patreon or we'll just uh, post it to socials sometime. We, we did an interview with this band from England. They were from Liverpool or something like that. They were on tour with the 1975. And they happened to stop in Salina, Kansas on the same night that we did. So there was like f- 
eight or nine of us and we were walking up and we saw their bus so we thought oh there's another band let's go chat and um hang out with them we were walking up to them and uh they said we asked them you know like what what did you think of us they were like well we thought you were you know maybe dangerous you were coming up to like start a fight or something but then we saw you were all holding ice creams and so you know not much of a threat then (laughs) that's uh not the ice cream wars that mick was talking about in that other episode (laughs) yeah Yeah, that hotel we stayed at there you it's hard to get a sense of it i think from the footage but it was an outdoor motel thing that had been covered over or that's what at least what it looked like. And there used to be a couple of these Holiday Inn-style ones around the country. And it was the weirdest place we ever stayed at. They took three hours to give us our room because it, check-in was at 3 p.m. and we got there at noon or whatever. Nobody in But we hotel. were the only people in the hotel. Like, there was no cleaning out rooms. That, that All those rooms that you see around us were empty. It was just us in there playing ping pong and... Uh, there, there's this movie Cedar Rapids with John C. Riley, and um, oh yeah, it's a really funny movie actually. On uh, Ed Helms, I think it's like about these insurance guys that go to a conference and it takes place in a hotel exactly like that, you know. And it's it's all about this like corporate retreat that just kind of takes place in this weird hotel that that's all i could picture right there was you know people getting doing karaoke and fucking getting drinks with umbrellas you know and talking about uh you know adjustments (laughs) one of my favorite lines from this episode is when jesse's trying to get into the that hotel and he says what the what is it with fucking kansas and not being able to get into the place because if obviously remember the open of the whole season is danny trying to get into a building in kansas also (laughs) Yeah, none of that was none of that was fucking scripted. It all happened that way. That's what I find weird about this show is that that guy talking about brotherhood and stuff. If I watched this show as an outsider, I would say, it was "Oh, yeah, the reality TV producers made that up and they put that in there." And none of it was. It was fucking weird. Well, the other thing we should talk about because I think we talked about it when we had Jeff on the podcast, but now that you've seen it, um, that scene on the bus in Idaho where I tell Jeff to turn the camera off. He did turn the camera off, and then he turned it on without our knowledge yeah. and just left it sitting there. And we only found this out months later when we were looking through the footage and realized, oh, fucking hell, he turned it on, which we would have fired him for were it not such amazingly shot footage. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, he wasn't doing it maliciously. He just thought they're probably going to want this. Yeah, I think it, he made the right call. And yeah, he made the right call and he you know it wasn't like he was trying to hide it or yeah, yeah. sell it on TMZ for 3 cents. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, so that what that's real. That he did turn the camera off. We didn't know the camera was on when he turned it back on and we did that VIP meet and greet right as that occurred. And yeah. then fucking Jason walking on saying just check that you got your pants <laughs> on. It's just he was unaware that we were having this whole argument, you know. Yeah. I mean, the amount of people who were unaware we were having, we must, we must have pretty good poker faces. No, I think people knew. They just know, oh, bands arguing, but they don't, no one knew what it was about or how uh, heated it was. Yeah. yeah, that's a skill you learn on tour, or if, if you're good at it, you know, or if, you're, um, if you've been on tour a long time, you learn to compartmentalize a lot of stuff so you don't poison the atmosphere for everyone and everybody that you ever come in contact with. Yeah. All right, well, I, let's wrap it up. Yeah. That's uh, that's it for this podcast. Um, we will be going on tour, like we said, in January. Grab your tickets. Um, congress.com forward slash shows. Uh, check new, out... New song, soonish. Yeah, new song, uh, most likely at the end of this month. 
Um, I'll say this. If you're a fan and you watch Bus Call and you live in a city that we're coming to and you don't buy a ticket, you're not actually a fan. <laughs> I mean, how could you watch that show and not think, I should go support this band? Because t- tell you what, we spent a fuckload of money making Bus Call <laughs> that we're probably never going to make back from the show. But if you come and buy a ticket, we there's hope for us yet that we can just pull take, that. If you were going to pay your taxes or if you are going to donate to a charity, just dip into that fund and come <laughs> to a show. Yeah. If you were going to launder money and uh, defraud a corporation, just buy a ticket. (laughs) All right, guys. We will see you or talk to you next week. Uh, Spread the word about Bus Call. Talk to you soon. Boy.